to the podium, Mr. Jarek Robbins. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of JRC TV. If you're listening to the podcast or watching this video, hello. Uh, we have a very special guest joining us. I just finished listening to his book, which is awesome. Uh, if you're watching, it's called Never Split the Difference. You can see it right over his shoulders there, which is awesome. Uh, this is Mr. Chris Voss. He's the CEO and founder of the Black Swan LTD group or black swan group uh is the better way to say it uh he has 24 years experience in the fbi and was former fbi lead international kidnapping negotiator uh he's a speaker which i'll tell you where we first ran into each other as well as an adjunct professor and consultant i believe you were a professor at harvard and also usc well i did uh, harvard was several years ago but these days it's uh, usc uh, university of southern california for all you people in the Southeast, <laughs> right, right, and uh, and Georgetown University in Washington D.C. Wonderful. Well, thank you for joining us, and thank you for sharing some of your wisdom and experience with everyone today in advance. Hey, man, I am I'm I'm flattered. I'm honored to be on with you. It's very cool. I'm glad we've crossed paths again. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, speaking of which, the first time we crossed paths, I believe, was in Philly. It was in Philly. Yeah, an event that Carolyn Rim put on. Yep, and yeah. we were both speaking there, and we had, I think it was like a four-hour conversation that night, hanging out, talking with everybody. Um, yeah, yeah, and, that was a lot of fun. I, I, I don't know, and I apologize, I don't know why it took me so long to read your book. <laughs> um, it took me a while to get the book out, so that's okay. Fair enough, fair enough. And I, and I, I finally got my hands on it. I went through the whole book, and... I mean, I wish I could just like hit instant download and put this in everybody's playbook, except for the people we negotiate with, because obviously it's a little better for us to know it than them. Uh, but what? one thing you said that was really interesting is in the negotiation itself, and we'll get to some tactics, but I also want to share about you first. But in the negotiation itself, it's not you versus them as much as it's you both trying to solve the problem at hand. And I think a lot of people, including myself, when stuff gets tense, when stuff gets interesting, a lot of times that initial, you know, adversary thought process comes out. Um, so I want to talk about that. Maybe towards the end, we'll talk about how to make that adjustment for people. But for right, right now, I'd love to just tell a little bit about you. Like, how did you get into this for those listening and watching? Yeah, you know, um, just one thing out of after another out of sort of out of left field, which I think in you know, everybody's life as it takes it takes its path. Like I never. Ex I never planned on being an FBI agent, probably didn't even think about it until about 10, 11 months before I was lucky enough to become an FBI agent. Wow. And then, like, I was a SWAT guy, you know. Before I was with the FBI, I was a police officer at Kansas City, Missouri Police Department. Very good police department, wonderful, charming, wonderful city. And then, all right, so the FBI thing comes up. I head in that direction. I was on a SWAT team. Uh, to me, some of the best things that have happened to me in my life as a result of something that would be perceived as negative. So, mm. and I, I re-injured my knee. I, you know, I tore ligaments in my knee, 
because when I was in college, I fancied myself, you know, sort of the Caucasian Bruce Lee. You know, I wanted, I wanted to be in the martial arts, and I thought that would help me uh, with the police department. Blew the knee out, blew it out again, trying out for the FBI's hostage rescue team, the FBI's version of the Navy SEALs. Wow. A bunch of a bunch of the HRT guys are uh, our former SEALs, for, former Delta guys. And then I, before, you know, I wanted completely destroyed my knee, I started to look at something else within crisis response. You know, FBI had hostage negotiators, and I thought, you know, how hard could that be? <laughs> you know, Interesting I, mindset to come in with. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I, you know, I, I could talk to terrorists. I mean, I really thought, you know, like, yeah, you know, I, I could do that. And, and uh, initially, they wouldn't let me in. Woman, woman running the team in New York, Amy Bondaro. She was just like she kind of looked down her nose at me, and I didn't because I didn't have any qualifications, uh, other than wanting to get after. Which you know, anything in life is you know ingenuity initiative is one of the biggest things. And so she kind of tested me. I didn't realize it was a test at the time, but she gave me a task to go out and do. And which was that the lady who had you join the um, crisis hotline? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Go volunteer at the hotline. You know, and so then the process of doing that, trying to get, I got on the team. Well, I had a kidnapping that didn't turn out the way we expected it to internationally. I, you know, I talk about it in the book. Um, and then had to, figured we had to get better, and that's when I ended up collaborating with the guys at Harvard. And they were a lot of fun. I really enjoyed working with those guys. Um, Bob Manukin, Sheila Heen, Doug Stone. I mean, just a whole crew of really smart people up there. And they said, hey, you know, you're doing the same stuff we are. You're just doing it in, with different stakes. And, you know, that kind of opened the door to the business stuff. And, uh, you know, never split the difference. The book came out last, uh, last May. And, and if I can add, uh, my co-writer, Tal Roz, mm -hmm. a friggin' genius. Like anybody out there, uh, read anything Tall Roz has written if you're interested in reading something about business. He, he's also co-author of another book, Never Eat Alone, which is one of the best networking books ever written. Keith Frazzi. He's been a guest on the show as well. People love him. Keith is phenomenal. And uh, Tall collaborated on Keith's book. So, yeah, I mean, read, read anything Tall's written. It's good stuff. Very cool. I'll have to look him up in case we do business books. Very uh, yeah. So, so you went through this journey and there were different things you talked about in the book that, I mean, literally, I think your heart skips a beat every time you, you don't know. It's like your page turner. You're like, what happened? Did he, did he get them? Did he not? Did they take them out? And, and I, I think it's always interesting and fun that, you know, a lot of conversations start with three minutes, get me a car. The person dies. And you're like, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> Um, and, and for most people, if you're watching, you're a business owner, a coach, or someone who, who, who a lot of times it, it's not life or death on the line as much as it's an opportunity to close some type of gap, though. And, and that continuously over time can lead up to the life or death of your company, if you think of it that way. Because really, truly, if you, if you overpay or undercharge too many times in a row you land up, your margin's gone. If your margin's gone and then you go into the re red, now you're out of business. And I think the stats show that 98% of businesses fail within the first 10 years, 95% fail, fail within the first five years. So, so this literally could be a life or death topic for a lot of small business owners if you're in that first five or 10 year period of your, your business. 
And and so looking at it with that perspective, maybe I'd love to share just a couple tips. Obviously, they're going to want to grab the book to go deep in this concept, but I'd love to share a few tips for people watching of what some things that might be an easy... applicable or easy something to apply almost immediately that if they watch this, they took it away and they said, let me see if this really works. Like I know he's saved people's lives. I, I know he's, you know, rescued hostages and some have gone, you know, one or two have gone wrong, but most have gone in the right direction. And like you said, never split the difference and, and negotiate like your life depends on it because in these cases, people's lives do depend on it. So if they were going to take something with that kind of urgency into a business negotiation later this afternoon, What's a couple tips you might give them of something they could try immediately just to see that it works before they have the chance to go through the book and really read all the, the meat in there? Well, uh, you know, the first one is, uh, first of all, the starting point is there's great power in deference. Mm. So you take a deferential approach. It then gives you license to say a lot of more things. Um, and the, the, the book starts out with a story of, you know, the first and best way to say no um, and people either get this right away and start making money on it immediately or it scares them. But the first and best way to say no in a deferential tone of voice is, how am I supposed to do that? And that has, uh, I get examples for the other side immediately cutting their price by half from a, a woman who was negotiating with her 13-year-old son who wanted her to buy him a video game. And she said to her kid, how am I supposed to do that? And he immediately offered to pay for half. (laughs) And then I got another colleague here in town, business person negotiating with a with a vendor over contract. And he said to the guy, how am I supposed to do that? And the vendor immediately cut his price by half. Wow. So, I mean, even that in and of itself, you know, and some people are like, oh, I can't say that. What if they come back? You have to. Now I'm in trouble. And, you know, my advice to them is, all right, so give it a try. Number one, we actually coach people to say, how am I supposed to do that continuously? At least two or three times until the other side finally does say, you know, because you have to. Because actually your job as a business person is to be able to find out how much is on the table. And when the other side says, because you have to, you now have done your job on behalf of yourself, on behalf of your company. You push the other side to the limit, find out everything that's on the table, and you're still talking. When somebody says to you, because you have to, you're still engaged in the conversation. It's not over. They didn't slam their hands down and jump up and walk away. They didn't call you names. You know, they didn't threaten to report you to the Better Business Bureau. Mm-hmm. They've said, hey, look, you pushed me to my limit. I'm still talking. I still want to make this deal. But, you know, now we got to make the deal, which is your job as a business person to advocate for yourself. So it's, you know, that little thing right there, that little one, more people have instantly made more deals just with that phrase. And so here's an interesting question, because I've been playing with this myself. That would be on the point where someone's purchasing from you and, and they're trying to bid you down, Correct. Well, in, 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 in any, any time that you have to say no. Oh, got it. Or that you need to, you need to buy yourself some time. You need, it's actually a specifically designed thing. Um, it's also triggers something we call forced empathy. And it's, a, it's the best way to get the other side to take a look at you. 
take a take a sorry take a fair look at your position and before they respond so it's a it's a stop and think moment for the other side it, it triggers something that uh, Danny Kahneman a Nobel Prize winning uh, behavioral economist uh, refers to as slow thinking which is deep thinking hmm. Kahneman wrote a great book called thinking fast and slow um, and his his stuff is a foundation uh, explains a lot of what makes hostage negotiation work in business and personal life because Kahneman talk goes into great depth about how we react in fact in the real world as opposed to theoretically you know this intellectual mythology that just doesn't exist right the the you know staircase thoughts that come afterwards we're like oh i should have said this or i should have said that or i would have done this and and that's not reality of what actually happens <laughs> yeah uh, sometimes i wish i was as brilliant as i thought i was right yeah when you're walking away 10 minutes later you're like oh all the good thoughts ran in but but there's things like you're saying that have to happen in the moment and and here's my question so anytime you have to say no that would help and and this is something that that it just got me thinking as I was reading through the book, because I was reading all these different pieces from ways you can adjust, you know, yourself, um, ways you can better understand the person you're communicating with. There's so many golden nuggets and great tips filling these pages. So, so I hope you don't mind me bragging a little bit about how awesome the book is. Um, it really is. No, no, go on, go on, go <laughs> Please, on. Stop, stop, <laughs> go, go for it. <laughs> and so it was interesting. And, and one thing that stood out in my head, and I'd love your insight, what if you're trying to nudge the person higher? So, and, and I was trying to figure out which technique might work in that case where let's say someone tries to bid us down. So we say, oh, you know, that product or that service, let's just use round numbers is $10,000. And they say, well, the best I could do is five. And would you start with that same phrase? So how am I supposed to do that? Yeah. How, how am I supposed to do that? Um, uh, you know, there's three or four different ways to approach that. Uh, you know, uh, another thing you could you could say to somebody is, you know, one of the skills we took from hostage negotiation, we use it. It's probably the most powerful one is this tool we call the label. And in a hostage negotiation, it was called emotion labels. So the other thing I might want to say to someone is, uh, it, um, you know, it, it sounds like the value is just not there for you. Mm. Now, that's a, that's actually a specifically designed phrase. Um, and it's not what some people are taught to say where they go like, well, what I'm hearing is because if I say to you, it sounds like, or it seems like, or it looks like the design of that is actually, it hits a portion of your brain that causes you to make an internal inquiry hmm. it, where the prefrontal cortex, the CEO of your brain sort of checks with the rest of the brain and says, Hmm, it causes you to contemplate this in a very specific way, creates this interaction in the different components of your brain where you think about it, you actually react in a way that I know in advance you're going to react to. And then you'll come back with an answer that's much more than yes or no, because no negotiation, is, the proper answer is it's never yes or no, it's no and or yes and, and you need everything else that comes back with the and. That's right. Most people, thank you very much, most people, uh, most people, when, they, uh, when they're saying the price is a problem, it's not really the money. It's what they're getting for the money. Hmm. And they would give you all the money you needed if they were getting what they needed out of the deal. Hmm. So if they express to you because they don't know any better, the price is too high, 
you, and it's not the price, but it's the package, you're not going to solve their problem by cutting the price. You may actually make things worse. Mm. And you need to get, when you say it sounds like the value is just not there for you, that immediately turns the conversation over to value and it makes them think, all right, so what, what is the value here for me? And it pivots now into something other than price where you can find out how to, how to fix the problem. Ah, so all of a sudden they'll open dialogue and ideally they'll start sharing with you and either go, oh, no, 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 it's not that, it's not that, which means right. they do see the value and there's some other reason why they're saying this and then you can right. figure out what the real reason is or they might go, you know, you're right. And you, and I'm guessing a follow-up might be, well, what's missing? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. What value needs to be there for it to be that? justified price or, or what we charge. And at that point, either one way, you're going to learn why they're really saying no to that, or two, you're going to learn what else you need to add to it to get it to that price where they easily go, yeah, it's totally worth it. Let's do it. Right, 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 right. Exactly. And, you know, the entrepreneur's, the business person's dilemma, the salesperson's dilemma is everybody's first move is to cut the price. Mm. And everybody also knows that it's probably not price that's the problem. You know, the hard part is how do you pivot away from price and get right into what exactly is the problem? And so one of the ways is, you know, the first way to is, of course, say, how am I supposed to do that? Which is just really a really nice way to straight reject what they've just said and make them rethink it. But the flip side, you know, it sounds like the value is just not there to you, then immediately takes you into the areas that are probably going to probably gonna solve the problem. Actually, much more quickly also. This, these are... What we like to say, these are delays that save time. These are great time savers. This is a hack into forward into the negotiation. Got it. So how am I supposed to do that? And then it sounds like the value just isn't there for you. Right. And what's interesting twice that you've done that I've been noticing for people, because I just read the book, I know what to look for, at least some of the things, um, is you did two things that I think were important that you pointed out in the book. One slow down. <laughs> so often, I, I know this myself, our heart rate gets going, we get excited, we get nervous palms, we start seeing the finish line. And so we start talking really fast and getting excited. And, oh, yeah, totally. We can do that for you. And, and, and that, in, in, according to the book, that's not helping. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, yeah, first thing is, because we're under such time pressure, we think that we got to speed up in order to solve it. And the, the exact opposite is true. I, you know, I had a judge in a federal trial in New York that did, had this great phrase, we're going to delay things in order to save time. You know, so you actually get through the negotiation process faster because you get off the gerbil wheel. You know, people go faster, but they're on a gerbil wheel of repetitive conversations. And they don't understand that if they were to slow down, they'd have fewer conversations and in its entirety save a lot of time. So slowing down actually does accelerate the process. You make fewer mistakes. You don't renegotiate. You don't have as many misunderstandings. And, you know, the misunderstandings of false agreement or were, were really the gerbil wheel of business. That's what eats up our time. Mm. So it's, it's understanding actually how to move much more quickly by, by taking a more deliberate approach and having fewer conversations. Very nice. And then the other thing is watching the physiology and tonality 
of, of, of what's going on. And I know one thing you said, which is interesting, a lot of business today is done over the phone with each other or via email, which email is probably the fastest way to be misunderstood <laughs> because they're reading in their own voice, hearing their own inflection of what they think you're saying versus actually hearing you. And, and you pointed out the, the value of actually being able to see the person and be next to the person. It's something, you know, I, I think I've talked about from time to time with everyone who's watching and listening, which is the concept of being able to see that the congruence or incongruency within the other person and, and how valuable that can be to the actual process of, of negotiation and communicating. Right, right. And, and the incongruence, I mean, there's a lot of there are numbers that are thrown out. You know, people talk. Uh, a popular ratio is seven thirty-eight fifty-five. That seven percent of your communication is words, and you know, people people get caught up in whether or not those numbers are accurate. And and the issue is the the word that you used exactly a moment ago. It doesn't matter what the ratio is. It matters when things are incongruent. You know, when the tone of voice doesn't line up with the words. I don't care if it's eighty twenty. I don't care if it's fifty fifty. If my words and my tone don't line up. We, we have an issue here and, and you're actually communicating an issue to me. You know, I, I have a colleague, extremely successful guy, got fired over a lack of understanding of incongruence. Hmm. He's 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 uh, he's talking to a billionaire investor in a company and the billionaire investor's got a bad idea. And in discussing it on the phone, you know, my my friend, my colleague says, OK. Now he's communicating real hesitancy with his, so his tone and his words aren't exactly lining up. The billionaire investor hears the word okay, construes that as agreement, and later accuses him of lying. Oof. So I don't care what the ratios are. Some, somebody's, you know, we're desperate to hear yes. Everybody is, it's, a, it's an addiction. And so we want to hear it so bad. Somebody says, okay. And it's very easy for the other side to go, he said, yes. Woohoo. When, you know, there's an incongruence there. <laughs> and okay means, look, I got some real problems with this. So it's, you know, how, how do you hear it and how do you dig into it so that you don't end up in a train wreck or somebody losing their job or a deal going bad? And speaking of which, um, the interesting process, I, I remember, I forget which chapter it was, but you're talking about sometimes missing those clues and how important and valuable they can be. And, and in one of the chapters you mentioned, there were certain clues, there were hidden clues. And, and I think this alludes to the name of your group and company because <laughs> they're referred to, I believe, as the black swans of the conversation. Right. There are certain cues that are visible or or you can see like, okay, should have picked up on that one. Um, but then there's hidden things in every negotiation, little facts and details and information and things that if you did uncover, pff, changes the whole picture. And if I remember right, this was um, one of the stories, if you, if you wouldn't mind sharing, the, the gentleman who the black swans were something he had said that no one parlayed or, or no one had shared, which landed up him stating that there was a certain time when he believed he was going to leave this earth and no one heard that until afterwards. And then it was like, holy smokes, if we would have known that we knew he was already wanting to die. Like, ugh. 
And that was the black swan in that moment. It was kind of hidden in the conversation or hidden from everyone knowing. And so the value of purposely taking time to dig for the unknown and do what you said is expect the fact that there's unknown factors always. Yeah. And, and they're going to be gold mines. You know, these, these nuggets are, are no small things. I mean, they're, they're the pieces of information that if you, if you got the other side to tell you would change everything. Hmm. And they're always there because, and it, it's kind of a two step mind warp thing here, but we're always hiding stuff in negotiations. Hmm. I mean, there's always stuff that, that, that we're not revealing the other side. So what does that tell us? What that tells us, first of all, is stuff we're not revealing is important. Otherwise, we'd reveal it. If we feel that they could gain all sorts of leverage on us, that we'd be vulnerable, then it also means if we could trust them with it, we could make a better deal. So by definition, if we've got those, the other side's got them. Now, the hard part to wrap your mind around is, you know, in the, in the immortal words of Donald Rumsfeld, the uh, unknown unknowns. What happens when the hidden cards on both sides begin to overlap? It's, you know, I like to imagine as if you're playing Texas Hold'em, what would happen if instead of taking the cards on the table that everybody gets to use, you got to see the other guy's cards and together you can make up your best hand. Hmm. That's, that's what you're trying for here. But we're scared to reveal this stuff. And it's another reason why being able to tell when somebody's lying is not good enough. Because people only lie about the stuff they think is important. And half, mm. half of their black swans, they don't even know it's important. And I was uh, here in town, I, living in Los Angeles, and I get a chance maybe to talk to the Hollywood types. So I'm coaching a, a, a woman film, filmmaker recently. She's got an investor that wants to buy into this film and invest in it so this person can not just be in the film, but can play both primary roles. I mean, I think this person probably saw, you know, the social network, the book, the movie about Facebook, and there was an actor that played the Winklevoss twins. One guy played both parts. So uh, this investor wants that. And uh, the filmmaker's telling me, like, that's, that's going to double our budget. I mean, even if I wanted to do that, the CGI, the cameras, everything else, it's going to be crazy. I can't do it. And I said, well, all right, so go, go back into the conversation and just open up the conversation and talk. In the middle of the conversation, the investor says, oh, and I got this castle in France we could film in. Like, whoa, what? Wait. Oh, there's a black swan. Mm -hmm. But nobody knows how, if it's there or, you know, you think based on the, the initial conversation, this person's ego driven and they're going to destroy my budget and what they want. Well, you know, maybe they're scared to let you know that they've got a, something to bring to the table. that's going to change everything. Mm -hmm. Maybe they think you're going to take advantage of them if they know that. So diving in, you find people always find crazy things mm -hmm. by getting into the conversations. I'll give you a specific example that happened to me that, that really truly I think represents this and it's some, something I wasn't thinking of. Um, which it happened both ways where we had a group reach out and it was interesting because the, the fee they offered to hire us to speak was really small, significantly smaller than what we would normally accept or, or ask for. And I think they knew what our numbers were and they just completely underbid it. And I was like, wow. And, but, but it also sparked my curiosity of why in the world would they offer that? Like, that's really small. <laughs> 
And, and I was scratching my head. And so I called them and I said, okay, well, what's going on? And what are you looking for? And they're like, we want to fly to New York. We want you to, you know, just do a, um, initial recording of your training and you're going to record it here at our studio. We'll edit it. We'll put it together. And then we're going to do a digital broadcast out to you know, probably 500 companies. And then as long as it's liked, we'll do it out to another 10,000 companies and that will, you know, part of the training and we're we'll offer a couple thousand dollars for it. I was like, wow, like we charge significantly higher than that. And, and to do training for that many companies like we're losing a lot of revenue by giving it away to all these companies. And that was my initial thought. Right. And I went to my dad and I, I talked to him about it because he's, he's been in this business for years and I was talking back and forth. And I said, what do you think? What does he know? How, did, how does that, what, what does, does that he, guy know? He's so an old guy. I passed it by him and I said, what do you think? And he said, well, wait a minute. You never asked an important question. And I said, what? And he said, what companies are these going to? I was like, I don't ah. know. So I went back and asked. And they said L'Oreal, Goldman Sachs, PricewaterhouseCoopers, the biggest companies on earth. And he said, well, how long did it take them to build that relationship? I said, well, they've been doing training for these companies for over 40 years. He said, so how long would it take you to try to build that kind of relationship with these companies that they're willing to put you directly inside of these companies with your best stuff on Showcase? How long would it take you to get in the door of all those places? And he said, how many if it goes well? I said, 10,000. He's like, buddy, I don't think you could pay for that kind of advertisement. <laughs> I started laughing. And so the, the black swan was something where I just didn't even ask in that case who it was going to because that was invaluable of like, right. wow, I didn't realize that because it didn't seem important to me at the time. I thought I was losing revenue because they were giving away our training to all these companies. And in reverse, it was actually helping us open a relationship with lots of companies that we had zero contacts with before that. And, and, and so th this thought process of being willing to dig around, even in the information, sometimes it's handed to you because they handed that to me and I just didn't know what to do with it because I wasn't you know, very seasoned at the time in, in that, that field. And I, I went, oh, this is what to ask about that, or this is how to do it. And, and I think sometimes in looking for that black swan, um, like you said, something in the book where you always negotiate in teams, which is having someone else to give you an, another perspective on what's going on in case you can't see it yourself, which in that case, I couldn't see what was going on because I didn't know what to look for. But luckily, I had someone who's a little bit more seasoned on the team who knew what to look for, and all of a sudden, bingo, there was the gold that we didn't realize was sitting there the whole time. Well, right, here's what else I really liked about you telling me on that story because you didn't take yourself hostage in any way along the way. I mean, you're, you're curious, you're willing to find out. I mean, you're, of course, your initial reaction is like, oh, God, you know, that's too low. Like, I'm not even going to talk to these people or what. Or if I talk to them, I'm vulnerable. I mean, you're, you're still digging in. And um, one of the things that we teach on a regular basis is, you know, don't take yourself hostage by not being willing to continue to talk. Mm. Or, you know, if, if they can't make you say yes, then you shouldn't be afraid to talk to anybody, regardless of what your perception is about the process. And so, you know, you didn't take yourself hostage anywhere along the line there as you proceeded, which I think is really cool about the way that you handled that. Well, thank you. I think there's something else I learned in the book that was really important, too, which was the example you said when you were teaching a class and you said, OK, you give student A $10 and you tell them to make a deal with student B. 
and you say, go, and you both have to agree on it, and you have to get the most you can out of this deal, and you, and you let them negotiate it with each other, and you were saying you know, the different options of what happens there, and so often, I think up here in our head, we start fighting for fair versus the real. Ah, uh, the F word. Yeah, yeah the <laughs> F word. <laughs> and and that, that becomes a dangerous word because that's an emotional pull and reaction into a situation. And we lose our logical ability to understand what's actually unfolding. Because I think if I remember right, you have people come back and they say, well, five and five or six and four. And then people get pissed because it's not fair. And they say, no, right. I'm not accepting four when you get six. No, I'm not accepting five, even though it's split. But I, I want more than that. And you get these emotional reactions. And I think one thing that's interesting that you pointed out is the deal everyone should really make is $9 and $1. <laughs> Um, because in reality, that's the best deal the person with 10 bucks could get unless he keeps it all or she keeps it all. Um, but then that fairness, that F word that sneaks in there and gets people. Um, would, you, would you mind sharing a bit about that? Yeah, it is, you know, it's w once we started looking for it, um, and I say we because, you know, I, I've got a team that I work with mm -hmm. um, and I've got people that I've worked with that have really contributed to the ideas. Yeah, my son, Brandon, mm -hmm is probably an uncredited uh, co-author of the book. He's been so involved in helping develop the book since since I left the FBI. Wow. All right, so but so when we first we said like, yeah, fair, man. Try and pick a negotiation that the word fair doesn't come up. Probably impossible to have a conversation. And it's used both by the very manipulative types because they know how effective it is, and it's also used when people People are just getting defensive, but you know, and that's why we call it the the F bomb, man. Because you throw the word fair out there, like, hey, I just want what's fair, and you've immediately accused the other person of being unfair, mm. and it it'll it'll move them when they don't when they shouldn't move, or it'll make them question themselves when they probably shouldn't question themselves, or they'll walk away from a deal that would have otherwise made them better off because they didn't think it was fair. And I, plenty of people like, I'm not getting what I, well, you know, what I'm worth here when take away the other side's compensation and they would have thought it was, they would have thought it was a great deal. Okay. You know, we, we tried to get into, I was trying to get into, um, I did some training for the United Arab Emirates several years ago, trained their, trained their national hostage negotiation team. Mm -hmm. And then the training was over and the relationship with the, the general contractor that brought us in fell apart. We're trying to get back in. And I've, I've, there's theoretically $8 million contract on potentially in the offing. Wow. I'm talking, I'm talking to a guy, I'm trying to get an introduction. He says, you know, what's my finder's fee? If I make this introduction, you make this deal. And he, I said, well, you know, finder's fee, 10% is fair. And I hadn't really thought about it, but he said, you know, $800,000 would change my family's life. And I thought to myself in that moment, he's going to make an introduction you know, maybe we'll go to dinner. If it works out, he gets 800000 for that dinner. That's not fair. <laughs> and we initially turned down that deal. And afterwards, I was thinking, like, the leftover here is a lot of money. You know, how? what do I care how much he gets as long as I get my end? And I almost walked away from that, from trying to make that deal. We went back and I said, look, you know, you got it you get us this deal, you got it. 
uh, it it ends up not working out. But it, I I taken myself hostage mm. over this fairness thing, and it it ha- it's everywhere. I mean, I could I can change compensation on any deal if I can if I know that it's fair or unfair. It's going to change everybody's everybody's perspective. It's just it's it's the the most it's almost <laughs> it's almost insidious how often it comes up and how much it makes people change their minds. It's wild. I had it happen to me where I did a year contract training with a company. And then a few years later, I found out someone else who was also on the training team got paid a radically different amount. And all of a sudden, a a year contract that seemed like one of my favorite things I did that year turned into something I was pissed about because I found out that it was (laughs) unfair how we were compensated. And Ah, it's, it's nuts. It's wild how that emotion messes with you. So here's a big question. How do people go about staying out of, you know, the F-bomb, the fairness thought process around this? Well, uh, that's one of the hardest things to do. Mm. And a little bit of it is just thinking it through in advance and, and, and inoc- inoculating yourself. Mm. Um, and, and then also understanding how, how sometimes people can, can mess around with you. Like, yeah, it wasn't fair, you know, your your share, that wasn't fair that they got. You know, the, the classic question I like to ask people is, if you worked harder to expand the size of the pie, would you take a smaller portion? And most people are like, no, you know, I'm going to expand a pie and I'm going to get less as a result. I mean, and the great example of that that I like to use all the time is uh, the last NFL players lockout. A lot of criticism of the players after the fact is hey, they got they put all this money in the owner's pocket and they got a smaller percentage of the pie. That wasn't fair. Well, they're all doing pretty darn good as a result. That they're all making a million dollar contract in a bad small slice of the pie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are making much more money. And you know the the my book is another example. I you know I pull the team together to bring together the book. My co-writer, Tall Roz, the other people that I collaborated with, I got a phenomenal agent, Steve Ross, did a, did a great job. And I ended up with a smaller portion of the total pie from the book proceeds. But my smaller portion is significantly larger than a lot of other authors, 100% of the pie. Hmm. So I expanded the pie enough so that my, my percentage is more take-home dollars for me. And it's a much better product as well. So it, it's a hard thing to do, but it's again, it's about not taking yourself hostage. Smart. And I think what you just said there is brilliant, especially for small business owners. The concept of if you can expand it enough, if you can strengthen the quality of your product or service, if you can strengthen the reach, the amount of people you're going to get to, if you can add something by splitting it with someone who's going to add so much value to what you're doing that everything expands, even your piece is still worth more as a whole than if you would have kept the whole thing yourself and not expanded or not bettered the product or not bettered the service. I think that's exactly. really important for people, especially towards the beginning, because we have this weird mindset of like, oh my gosh, if I split half, I'm left with barely anything. Instead of thinking if I split half and we make it this much better, that's better than I would have done on my own. That little distinction is really important for, for just the beginnings, I mean, all entrepreneurs, but especially those beginning stages. 
Yeah, yeah, and and you know a lot of reasons that we get we get concerned about giving up those pieces. We're scared of control. That you know, there's another issue of speed. How fast do we get things done when suddenly we're working by committee? Mm-hmm. And I there's a phrase I heard not too long ago, like if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go as a group. Mm. You know, yeah, you you go fast, but you don't go far, and you go far with a team. I like that. And and so yeah, this t- teamwork is seems inefficient in the short term and the long term you get wealthy as a team right i like that i like that so a couple questions thank you for spending all this time with us and and a couple questions if people want to go grab a copy of this book where do they go where's the best place is it amazon or your guys site amazon is it gives the best prices you know i got i gotta admit you know, I buy a lot of stuff on Amazon, and I even get my best price if I buy copies of the book when I buy it from Amazon. Same here. So go to Amazon, look up Chris Voss, V-O-S-S, um, like or the water. look up Never Split the Difference. And if you're watching the video, it's that yellow and red book sitting right behind him in two different languages up there. Yeah. Um, if you're listening, it's a yellow on top, red on bottom book, just so you know you got the right one. Um, and then also for people who own a company or people who might be making a major negotiation in their life or business, how do they get a hold of you and your group and team to, to maybe help them out if they want to hire you guys for a service or bring you in for a training for their team? Where, where would they go for that? All right, well, the simplest way is, uh, you know, we've got a weekly uh, negotiation newsletter. Nice. Um, and for people that are in the United States, uh, if you send a text to the number 22828, and the text is, that's right, T-H-A-T-S-R-A-G-H-T. No apostrophe, no spaces, as if it was all one word. Mm. And that'll give you the opportunity to sign up for the newsletter, quick and easy. Comes out once a week. It also, we've got a lot of training resources. The newsletter's free. Uh, that keeps you up on our uh, different training events. We've, we're going to be in Los Angeles uh, just in a couple of days, a one-day training event. That that keeps you up on a lot of a lot of information about us. That's the simplest, quickest way is is send that again. That's right. No 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 punctuation, no spaces to two two eight two eight. If you're not in the U.S., uh, the the website is uh, blackswanltd.com. B l a c k s w a n l t d dot com, and you you get a lot of the same resources there. Very cool. So either send that text or go to blackswanltd.com. If you're listening to this, look in the show notes. If you're on our blog, look below this video. If you're on Facebook or YouTube or anywhere else, look below or next to the video. You'll see the link to take you right on over there. Um, and also the information about texting. And, and thank you, thank you, thank you. The I guess last question I'd leave is, I'm always curious, just on a personal note, what's the message that you most want to leave with everyone who's going to watch this, everyone who's going to listen, everyone who's going to tune in, what's that core message that you really want to ripple out that you hope they really get after watching all this and connecting with you here? Great negotiation is about great long-term relationships. It's not about I win, you lose. Mm. If you're an I win, you lose guy, that's a, that's a lose long-term strategy. Mm. You know, we don't beat other people in, in our deals. We beat the the adversary is the situation. We beat the problem. We beat the situation. But uh, I, I'm, you negotiate with me. I'm not negotiating at your expense. I want to make a great deal with you. And I wish everybody had that attitude. Mm. 
you know, we win together. We win by collaborating. And, and it's not something to, well, you got to hurt the other guy. You got to beat him. So great negotiations, great collaboration, and it gives you a better life. I like that. Well, again, sir, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us here. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in and checking out another episode. We'll see you next week for another episode of JRC TV. Remember, if you want to grab a copy of Chris's book, you're going to go to Amazon. Look up Never, Lo- Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Also, you can visit BlackSwanLTD.com for more information on bringing them out to your business to do some training on negotiation, some training or, or just more information of learning from their newsletter. Make sure to visit there and check that out. And Chris, thank you one more time for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm really, really honored to be on your show.